Hello and welcome to another episode of What Sports. This is your host Mike Jones here with you. And in this episode we will be recapping week one of the NFL season and looking ahead to week two. To start it all off we will look at Thursday night football, a battle between the Texans and the Chiefs. Final score of that game was 34-20 to and the Chiefs were really in control of that game from beginning to end, putting up 17 points in the second quarter, and at one point being ahead uh, 31-7 to in the fourth. Uh, some garbage time touchdowns really is what made the score at least look respectable for the Texans, and unfortunately for me, what made my fantasy football team, in part, lose Hey, garbage time rushing touchdown by Deshaun Watson was not pretty for me. But aside from that, a couple of high points here. Uh, David Johnson really looked kind of like the David Johnson of a couple years ago. I think he's a great fit in this Houston offense with a huge caveat of as long as he is healthy, which of course is a big question mark when you're talking about David Johnson. But he is somebody who I think can have a huge bounce-back season as a member of the Houston Texans. Uh, Fantasy-wise, wide receivers that really popped off, Will Fuller, eight catches for 112 yards. Another guy who is really good for you in fantasy football as long as he's healthy, and it's another big old question mark on Will Fuller on how long he will be healthy. Brandon Cooks is also was also added to the Houston receiving core, and he is somebody who will eventually start eating into Fuller's touches. I don't expect that to have a huge impact early on in the season. On the flip side, Sammy Watkins, seven catches, 82 yards, and a touchdown. Really nice stat line there, uh, but. Buyer beware on Sammy Watkins. I've ran with him the last couple of seasons just because I love his fit in Kansas City's offense. But it's one of those feast or famine type of picks. So be careful if you're trying to stream Watkins into your receiving core. Because he can give you a 30-point game one week and the next week give you a 5-point game. So just be careful on that. Of course, Clyde edwards Lair was sensational for the Chiefs. If you ended up picking him in your first round, you are extremely happy with yourself right now. Next up, we had the Seahawks against the Falcons. Uh, Seahawks were really in control. It was never overly in doubt, uh, yet it was still a good game between these two teams. Uh, Fantasy-wise, Russell Wilson went off, just in general, had a stellar game, 31-35 for 322 yards and four touchdowns. He was also the leading rusher in the game, which is a little bit of a downer when you're talking about Chris Carson only mustering 21 yards on six carries. Yet, he made up for it in the receiving game. Six catches for 45 yards and two touchdowns. 
made Carson round out into a really nice addition, a really nice scoring output for your fantasy team. Uh, DK Metcalf continued where he left off last year. Four catches, 95 yards, and a touchdown. It's looking like he might be a consistent threat in that Seahawks passing game. Todd Gurley in his first game with his new team, 14 carries for 56 yards and a touchdown. Long of 15. So he he had some plays where he was able to get some chunk yardage. It'll be interesting to see as the season goes on, as he's better integrated into that offense, what he looks like. He could really look good alongside of Matt Ryan. He obviously proved he had plus receiving capabilities when he was a member of the Rams. And it's something that Matt Ryan can really take advantage of when you're talking about a offense that has two big-time playmakers on the outside. Julio Jones brought in nine catches for 157 yards. Pretty respectable. But then you have Calvin Ridley on the other side. Nine catches for him as well, 130 yards, and two touchdowns. That was one hell of a game really all around for this receiving core because the third guy on that list, Gage, had nine catches for 114 yards. Now, I wouldn't be looking for him to do that on a weekly basis. There's likely not just – there's just not going to be – enough opportunities going forward unless something happens to Julio or Ridley. But Ridley, wide receiver two probably for you on mo- in most fantasy leagues. Next up, we got the Jets at the Bills. Bills end up winning this game 27-17. to um, Really in control of this game from the beginning Fantasy-wise, there wasn't a whole lot that really jumps out to you. Le'Veon Bell went down with an injury. Uh, He wasn't necessarily off to a great start to begin with. Six carries for 14 yards. But that could mean that Frank Gore has some added value. I just don't know how much consistent value he's going to have at this stage in his career. But with Le'Veon going down, he was clearly the number one back. In week one, uh, matching Le'Veon's carry total was six. All in all, only 15 rushes on the day for the New York Jets. A lot of that clearly had to do with the fact that they were trailing this entire game. Receiver-wise, Jamison Crowder paced the Jets seven catches, 115 yards, and a touchdown. It with uh, Robbie Anderson was the number one last year. He's obviously gone. He's in Carolina now. Jamison Crowder is looking like he's going to be that number one option and might be getting a lot of looks from Sam Darnold this season. If he happens to be available, which is unlikely because he is owned in 94% of NFL fantasy leagues, but if he does happen to be available because he's not necessarily one of those brand name wide receivers, uh, definitely jump on that. They should be getting... Denzel Mims was looking to try to take that wide receiver two slot and be a productive member of this offense, but he got put on IR earlier this week. The earliest you're going to see him on the 
football field is not going to be until week five. On the other side, Stefan Diggs in his debut with his new club, eight catches, 86 yards. Uh, Jay Brown, six catches for 70 yards and a touchdown. Uh, it's looking like it probably will be a relatively even split between them. It's kind of interesting because unlike in um, his previous seasons with Minnesota, uh, Diggs and Thielen had different styles uh, playing playing out there wide. You kind of see a lot more similarities between Diggs and Brown style. They're kind of deep threats, kind of those um, big play type of receivers. And so you don't, you kind of only have Beasley really working the underneath consistently. Uh, but it is definitely encouraging to see eight catches in his first game. Uh, I have him in one of my leagues, and I was a little worried looking at it and wondering what the chemistry is going to be, was going to be like with Allen coming into this season under, with such a weird offseason. Speaking of Allen, he actually paced this team with carries and yards, 14 carries for 57 yards and a touchdown to go along with 312 yards and two touchdowns on a pretty efficient 33 of 46. Great day, great season opener for Jake or uh, <laughs> for Josh Allen there. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be able to keep this up throughout the season, but that was definitely an encouraging start. And like I said in my season preview, I would expect the Bills to be the team who wins this division and dethrones the New England Patriots, which we'll get into them in a second. They were a bit of a surprise to me in week one. But with Allen pacing the team in rushing in a game that they were really kind of in control throughout does make me kind of worry when you're looking at Singletary and Moss on their value going forward. Uh, Singletary, to go with his nine carries for 30 yards, at least he supplemented that somewhat with a five-catch, 23-yard outing. Um, Moss, who also had nine carries but for only 11 yards, he put, pulled in three catches for 16 yards and a touchdown. Long term, Moss might be somebody who you want to look at getting on your team. Uh, in, with a lot of rookies, it is hard to get consistent output from them early on in the season in general. And then you're talking about a season in which you did not have your traditional training camp. You did not have preseason. And it's going to be difficult for them to jump in and make a consistent impact right off of the bat. But Moss, I see him ending up taking over as the number one running back in Buffalo eventually. Uh, might not be for a few weeks yet, but if you have room on your roster to get him and stash him, it might be a good look for you, especially in deeper leagues. He is only owned in 67% of NFL fantasy leagues. So there is a decent chance he could be available for you. Uh, like I said, could be a great stash pickup for later on in the season, especially when you're talking about running back position that is such has such a high attrition rate. 
A game that surprised me uh, was the Bears and the Lions. The Bears end up winning this game 27-23 to off of a huge fourth quarter. The Bears dropped 21 points in this third quarter. I'm sorry. But that is not something I would have expected from a Mitch Trubisky-led offense to really come out there and put up 21 points in the final frame. Including two of those touchdowns came in the last three minutes of the game. Drives started basically in the last four minutes of the game. And both of those were touchdown passes. Actually, all three of the touchdowns in the fourth quarter were touchdown passes. All three of the touchdowns for the Bears in general were from the arm of Mitchell Trubisky. And yet, the Lions still had an opportunity to win this game. And it was a really kind of an unfortunate play for their rookie running back, Swift, who dropped the game-winning touchdown pass in the end zone. Ah, really heartbreaking. I doubt it's going to affect him long-term as far as his productivity. I'm sure they're going to go right back to him this next week. You look at the stat lines, though. Trubisky, not necessarily a super efficient game. 20 of 36. But you're talking about three touchdowns and no interceptions. And when those three touchdowns happened were the, were the biggest thing. On the ground, Montgomery paced them 13 carries for 64 yards. I'm not high on Montgomery. I, would, I don't think he has much of a high ceiling. He will get the touches when you're talking about being in the Bears' backfield. But he lacks that big play kind of potential. Uh, he did average just about five yards per carry on the ground, which would, which is good if the Bears spend a lot of time playing from ahead. I just don't expect them to be doing that a ton this season. And he only put uh, added one catch for 10 yards onto this game. On the other side, though, uh, you had Hawkinson, the uh, second-year tight end for the Lions, kind of have a bounce-back bounce game. He got off to a great start last season and then went down with injury. He came back, picked up kind of where he left off last year, five catches, 56 yards, and a touchdown. He's probably going to be a huge target for Stafford in that red zone. So if he happens to be available, which there is a chance he's only owned in 71% of NFL fantasy leagues, uh, he is somebody, especially when you're talking about a tight end group that is largely kind of inconsistent and you don't really, there's only a couple marquee names in it. Hawkinson could pay dividends for you down the road. I personally own him. In a couple of leagues. I believe I have him in two leagues. And I have the Broncos second year tight end. Fans in two leagues. A lot of times you see. Tight ends really kind of hit their stride in their second season. But 
he had five catches, 56 yards, and a touchdown. Galladay did not play in this game, so you kind of had a, a little bit of a hole there as far as the big plays in the receiving game. Uh, I don't expect Galladay to really eat into Hawkinson's touches, though. So don't worry about that. Running game, though, was a bit of an interesting situation when you're talking about the Detroit Lions. Adrian Peterson, who they like just brought in days before this game, paced the team with 14 carries and 93 yards. Uh, Swift was fourth in carries with just three carries at eight yards. And like I said, he was tar- targeted in the receiving game. Outside of the one he dropped, he did have three catches for 15 yards. Swift is another guy who could potentially eventually be the number one back there in Detroit. But when you're talking about Kerryon Johnson and Adrian Peterson ahead of him, he has a lot stiffer competition in my book than a Zach Moss does in Buffalo. And you also have bigger bodies ahead of him to really kind of eat up those uh between the tackles and the bulk of the carry load. Swift, I could see being used a lot more as that change of pass kind of receiving back, at least this year there in Detroit. Moving on to the Packers and Vikings game. The Packers win this game 43-34, to and 34, 24 of those 34 for the Vikings put up in the fourth quarter. Yes, that fourth quarter, they put up 24 points. Uh, <laughs> they had three touchdowns with three two-point conversions in the fourth quarter. Kind of ridiculous. And really, the only way they made this game look close, you had vintage Aaron Rodgers in this game. Uh, looked really good, 32 of 44 for 364 yards and four touchdowns. Outside of Russell Wilson, might have been the best actual passing game we saw in week one. Uh, Aaron Jones paced the Packers in carries as expected, 16 carries for 66 yards and a touchdown, and four catches for 10 yards coupling with that leading to a really solid outing for Aaron Jones. Uh, But possibly the biggest fantasy player in this game was Devontae Adams, another guy who killed me in fantasy football. 14 catches for 156 yards and two touchdowns. Clearly the number one target for Aaron Rodgers. He had 17 targets in the game. The second highest targets were six by uh, Vandals, uh, Scantling, and Aaron Jones. So you combine the guys tied for number two, and they don't even touch the targets that Devontae Adams got in this game. Huge game for him. Uh, Vandal Scantling did have four catches for 96 yards and a touchdown. Lazard, four catches, 63 yards and a touchdown. Scantling, I might look at potentially if you need somebody in the wide receiver game to really, um, as a wide receiver three flex potential type of option. 
But I'm until I see it done on a consistent basis after last year and just the debacle of trying to figure out who's the number two in Green Bay, I would not put a ton of hope and a a, a, a ton of confidence in Vandal's scantling right now. On the other side, Cousins had a okay game. Uh, 19-25, 259 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Cook came came hard in this game. 12 carries for 50 yards, but he put on two touchdowns to go along with that. Really kind of saved his game going up against a stout Packers defense. And then, of course, no digs, all feeling. Six catches, 110 yards, and two touchdowns. Thielen will be a great option for you this year because he's the unquestioned number one target there in Minnesota now. And talked about a little bit earlier, or mentioned it, I should say, the Patriots took down the Dolphins 21-11. Dolphins are not a team that a lot of us expected from this season. And yet, the Patriots still handled them so you got to give them credit for that. Cam Newton, though, 15 of 19, 155 yards, no touchdowns or interceptions. And one of my questions coming into the season with him joining the New England Patriots was how were they going to use him? I have my questions with Cam Newton on his durability. Is he going to be able to survive a whole season if he tries to play the way He's done his entire career. And I wondered if New England was going to try to keep him in the pocket more and not necessarily rely on his legs as much. And if week one's any indication, that is not their plan at all. Newton paced the team in carries with 15 for 75 yards and two touchdowns. As long as he's healthy, he can have success here. I just don't know how long he is going to be healthy. And it helps that they didn't have to rely on him to pass the ball a ton. This was a good start for the Patriots. But you've got to remind yourself this was against the Dolphins. A Dolphin squad that pushed all the chips in last year on getting a top pick. They traded away almost anybody with any resemblance of talent on that team. So, yes, good start for Patriots. Don't go thinking that they're going to compete for their division, though. Because they're not. Uh, Sony Michel, out of actual running backs, was the only one to get double-digit carries. He added a touchdown on to go with that. And... And as far as receiving, nobody really standing out. Even Edelman, only five catches for 57 yards. He is not the safety blanket anymore. He does not have that chemistry with Cam Newton that he did with Tom Brady. He was kind of a buyer beware kind of prospect coming into this season. Uh, Even if Brady was there, just because he's getting up there in age as well. So I would not expect a huge season from Edelman. And 
running backs, it's really kind of hard to settle on one and think we are going to get a consistent output from them fantasy-wise. For the Dolphins, uh, Devontae Parker, four catches, 47 yards. Uh, Williams actually had the most targets, seven for them, and yet he only brought in two of those for 41 yards. But let's move on. Not a ton to talk about in that game. But let's talk about the Washington football team and the Philadelphia Eagles. Washington wins this game 27-17. to And this is after being down 17-0. Okay? The first 17 points of this game was scored by Philadelphia. And then Washington comes out and puts up 27 unanswered points to win this game. Huge debut for uh, Young. Young came out, had four tackles, and one and a half sacks in this game. And it was really that pressure that he was putting on Wentz, making Wentz uncomfortable throughout the whole game. Uh, he Wentz got sacked eight times in this ballgame. And that was kind of what ended up being the difference for Washington. Uh, Wentz, 24-42, 270 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions. And like I said, eight sacks. Uh, without, without Sanders, they relied mostly on Scott to carry the ball. And it was just not super efficient. Only nine carries for 35 yards in this game. Goddard, the tight end, paced them in targets and catches. Eight catches for 101 yards and a touchdown. It's an interesting dynamic because Ertz also got a touchdown, three catches and 18 yards. And depending on the week, one of these tight ends will likely go off. And it will be something I will be interested to watch as the season season goes on. Is one tight end really going to separate themselves in that group? Or is it going to be something where you can't really depend on one to put up consistent numbers every week? On the flip side, McLaurin, five catches, 61 yards, a decent outing. But clearly the number one wide receiving target. Logan Thomas stepped up at tight end. Might be a potential sleeper for you, depending on your... Thomas is a big body, uh, still kind of learning the tight end position. He played quarterback in college. So you know that he has a good grasp of what a quarterback needs from their tight end and what he'll need to do out there on the football field. So as the season goes on, I expect Logan Thomas to get more consistent looks at that tight end position. You're especially talking about growing with Dwayne Haskins. They came into the league um, as rookies last year together. And I would expect there to be a developing chemistry there. He is only owned in 3% of NFL fantasy leagues. So if you really need a tight end, or if you happen to be able to afford to Pick somebody up to stash because you don't necessarily love your current tight end. Logan Thomas, I think, is a real sleeper 
as far as fantasy tight ends go. In the backfield, though, nobody's really having a great day as far as yards per carry go. But Peyton Barber did put up two touchdowns on 29 yards rushing. The leading rusher was Gibson at 36. So four yards per carry, not all that impressive. And you put that along with no touchdowns, not buying on Gibson. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, though, not super efficient. 17 of 31, 178 yards and a touchdown, but no interceptions. He does not have great targets to throw to. I would not think about adding Haskins to my fantasy squad. Raiders and Panthers. Raiders win this game 34-30. to uh, despite 15 points put up by the Panthers in that fourth quarter. And it was a game-winning touchdown by Josh Jacobs of the Raiders in the fourth quarter with about four minutes left to go in the game. And that, that's the play that ended up being the winner. And Josh Jacobs had a big-time game for the Raiders. 25 carries for 93 yards and three touchdowns to go along with four catches for 46 yards. Huge output for Jacobs when you're looking at his fantasy. Uh, Henry Ruggs had three catches for 56 yards. He really flashed that speed in some of those plays. Would not be surprised if eventually he he puts up a few 20-plus point games this season. But I don't see it being super consistent, uh, especially early on. Like I said, he's a rookie. On the other side, Teddy Bridgewater, a good debut for Carolina. 22 of 34 with a touchdown, 270 yards, no interceptions. And Christian McCaffrey, of course, the Christian McCaffrey things. 23 carries, 96 yards, two touchdowns. And three catches for 38. Obviously, McCaffrey, if you have him, you're starting him every week. But Robbie Anderson, mentioned him a little earlier, had a great debut with Carolina. Six catches for 115 yards and a touchdown. I would expect to see him consistently targeted in Carolina's offense. If he happens to be available, which I would doubt he is. He's somebody you should definitely go out and target. He was one of the most added players in fantasy football this week. And actually, looking at this, it actually surprises me. He's still available in nearly 40% of leagues out there. So, there's a good chance that you pick him up and he could be the wide receiver 3 on your team. Potentially the wide receiver 2. And he is still available in a huge chunk of leagues out there. Next up, we got the Colts and the Jaguars. Another game that kind of surprised me. Jaguars end up with the W27-20. to And this was by t uh, helped by 10 points scored by the Jaguars in the final quarter. Uh, really, Minshew looked really good in this game. 19 of 20 for 173 yards and three touchdowns. 
one incompletion in the entire damn game and three touchdowns. I would not expect Minshew to put those kind of numbers up consistently. But, wow, if you happen to have been starting him, if you were into the stash and you wanted to rock with Minshew week one, you were rewarded, undoubtedly. Phil Rivers, new digs for him in Indianapolis. Uh, not the best of debuts. 363 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions in this one. One of them by the rookie Henderson for Jacksonville. Uh, the rushing attack in this game in general was just kind of up in the air. Because Jacksonville don't doesn't have as established of a running back now with no Fournette. Robinson paced him 16 carries, 62 yards. Not looking at him to save my fantasy league in any stretch. But Marlon Mack with the Colts is probably the bigger story. Uh, not necessarily what he did in this game, but what happened in this game. He tore his Achilles. He is done for the season. And with that happening, Jonathan Taylor is a huge, huge target in fantasy football now. Because I thought he was eventually going to take over that starting role. He was the best back in my eyes this year uh, coming down the draft. And yet he he uh, went into the second round. He fell into a great situation when talking about going and playing with Indianapolis and playing alongside Phillip Rivers. In this game, he did not necessarily light it up on the ground, but he had six catches for 67 yards. Six catches. You know Phillip Rivers loves throwing to his running backs, a la Eckler. A la Sproles. I mean, he loves using his running backs out of the backfield. And Jonathan Taylor played right into that. So, he's not going to be available. He's owned in 98% of leagues. You can look for him. He's not going to be available. If you happen to have drafted him, good on you. It's going to pay dividends for you going forward. Uh, Receiving-wise, Pittman... Two catches for 10 yards. Another rookie who I expect to really kind of catch stride about midseason. He's a bigger bodied receiver, and that is what Phillip Rivers likes to throw to. I would expect a slow start from Pittman, but eventually some pretty good numbers in the second half of the season. Nobody necessarily lit it up in the receiving game. We had, of course, there were three guys with touchdowns, which gives them a solid fantasy output. But the guy I want to talk about more on Jacksonville's side is LaVisca Chenault. Three catches, 37 yards, and a touchdown. He also got two carries for 10 yards. Jacksonville is being inventive in how they are using Chenault, a lot like how the Buffs were when he was in Colorado. And this will pay... This is a great sign for Chenault going forward because he's going to be a huge part of this offense. Uh, almost kind of like Cribs back in the day with Cleveland, that they're just going to be they're going to be inventing ways for him to touch the ball. He took snaps as the Wildcat quarterback. He's lined up in the backfield. There, he's going to be getting 
10 plus touches a game going forward, in my opinion, uh, just because they're going to find more and more ways to get the ball in his hands and create touches for him. He is a guy, uh, a fantasy sleeper that you should really keep your eye out on if you need help with your receiving core. And considering he is only owned in 1% of leagues, you have a great chance to pick him up. And if it's a deeper league, he could be a wide receiver too for you going forward just because his receiving numbers may not end up being huge. But he's going to get touches on a consistent basis in that offense. And he is a big body, so he will get red zone targets, whether it's in the passing game or running the ball. Please do not sleep on Chenault going forward. Then we have the Browns and the Ravens. Um, was not really a game. Ravens owned this 38-2-6. Lamar Jackson, another great outing for him. 20 of 25 for 275 yards and three touchdowns to go along with seven carries for 45 yards. Mark Ingram, 10 carries for 29 yards. Another rookie that I am high on to eventually get the starting role later on in the season, J.K. Dobbins, seven catches or seven carries for 22 yards in this game. Uh, not a ton to talk about. Chubb was very much disappointing as far as his fantasy output goes, and some a lot of that has to do with the fact that they were down big early. Uh, only 10 carries for 60 yards, and Hunt actually outcarried him with 13 carries for 72 yards. I ended up with him in two of my leagues, so I'm I'm hurting because of that output. He was he was a second-round pick for me, and that was just not pretty. Baker Mayfield, 21 of 39, 189 yards, a touchdown interception. I am not a huge Baker Mayfield fan, but... I expect him to be better going forward. There are too many receiving talents for him to throw to. And that offensive line in front of him was reworked and should definitely allot him more time back there to be able to hit these targets. I expect Baker to have a good season this year, despite this above-average rough start going up against the Baltimore Ravens. Chargers and the Bengals. Chargers win this game 16-13 to uh, with 10 points scored in the fourth quarter, including the game-winning field goal, which was scored with about nine minutes left to go in this game. Big storylines in this game. Obviously, number one overall pick, Burrow, had an okay start, 23-36, of 36, 193 yards, but no touchdowns and an interception. He is a rookie. He will get better as the season goes on. I've said before, I have my reservations on how good of a pro Burrow is going to end up being. Yet, there are so many weapons for him to use in Cincinnati. And a creative head coach there, offensive mind, uh, and Zach Taylor, that I expect Burrow to have... A good season. Long-term prospects is where I have my questions. 
but I do expect Burrow to bounce back and have a good season. Tyrod Taylor, 16 of 30 for 208 yards, did enough to win this game. Not enough that I think he's really playing a stranglehold on this starting position. Herbert will eventually be starting for the Chargers. It's just a matter of when, not if. Eckler, 19 carries for 84 yards and only one catch for three yards. Disappointing, especially considering he was a first or second round pick in a lot of leagues. A disappointing first week for him. And I expect it to get better as the season goes on. Don't bail on Eckler, especially once Herbert gets the starting position. That receiving running back is so valuable going along with a rookie quarterback. So do not bail on Eckler. Or if there's somebody in your league who might be trying to bail on Eckler, maybe try to get him cheap. Maybe they'll maybe they'll sell you low on Eckler. And that is a deal. A.J. Green, first game back after missing all of last season. Five catches, 51 yards. He was the most targeted receiver for Cincinnati. And although it was not necessarily a huge game for A.J. Green, he they were going up against a pretty good secondary out of the Chargers. I expect him to be a consistent 10-plus point uh, a game receiver. And probably more than that, that's probably his floor is 10 points going forward. I am high on A.J. Green having a bounce-back year. Then we have the Bucks and the Saints, a game that was actually felt closer than the final score indicates. Uh, 34-23 final score, Saints win. Brady, not the smoothest of debuts, and that's to be expected. He's with a new team. He's with... A whole new cast. There's nobody outside of Gronk who's still trying to get his feet back under him after taking last season off that he has any sort of rapport with. So not necessarily surprising. I'm actually kind of surprised it was as close as it was. But this offense for the Bucks will just get better as the season goes on. Especially when eventually I would expect Fournette to take the starting job. He did not have a great week one, but he has not had time to really learn that offensive line and learn that playbook. He is, I still consider him the better, the best running back in that backfield. So keep an eye on him in the long term. Uh, Receiving wise, Godwin, six catches for 79 yards. He did enter concussion protocol this week. So you have to keep an eye on that if he's on your fantasy team because he may not play on Sunday. Uh, Tight ends-wise, O.J. Howard actually had six catches, caught four of them for 36 yards and a touchdown. This is a make-it-or-break-it season for O.J. Howard, and you're partnering him with a quarterback that loves his tight ends historically. I expect big things from O.J. Howard this season. So considering he is only owned in about 14% of NFL fantasy leagues, 
he can be somebody who's available and you can just go out and get and start most weeks. Like I said, big season coming for O.J. Howard, in my opinion. On the other side, though, uh, Alvin Kamara, 12 carries, 16 yards, and a touchdown. Five catches, 51 yards, and a touchdown. Obviously not great rushing the ball, but all in all, a good outing for him. And I'd expect him to have better success as the season goes on, running the ball. Drew Brees, 18-30, 160 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Not the crispest of game from Drew Brees. And then you look this next few weeks, going to be without Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas only targeted five times, three catches, 17 yards, but he did have an injury. Uh, He has an injured ankle. Which means Emmanuel Sanders, somebody who I mentioned in my season preview as well, uh, is posed to have a few big weeks here, and I think overall a pretty damn good season. He's only owned in about 66% of NFL fantasy leagues. Somebody who he could definitely pick up, and for at least the next couple of weeks, he is a solid wide receiver two option in my book. He's going to get the bulk of the looks I would expect with Michael Thomas going down. Michael Thomas going down also is going to mean Kamara is going to probably be relied on more heavily in the running game. Cardinals and 49ers. Uh, This was a game that probably surprised most people. And to an extent, it surprised me. I expected the 49ers to win this game. But... I am not as low on the Cardinals as I feel like a lot of people are. Uh, the Cardinals end up winning this game 24-20, to 20, uh, buoyed by 14 points in the fourth quarter, including the what ended up being the winning touchdown with about five minutes left to go in the fourth. Kyler Murray, 26-40, 230 yards, a touchdown interception. Not the most efficient game passing the ball, but he's going up against one of the better defenses in the league when you're talking about the 49ers, so I'm not excessively worried about that. He did couple that with a 13-carry, 91-yard game and a touchdown on the ground. Kyler Murray was my, actually, honestly, he was my number two quarterback this season, I would have taken him above Patrick Mahomes if I had to choose between them, uh, just because of the value he brings with his legs. And I think that's going to be, as he's more comfortable in this offense, and they and the offense is more comfortable with him, something that's going to be utilized more because they're going to be able to spread the field so much more. There's going to be so many more running lanes for him to use. Because now you have DeAndre Hopkins on the outside, who brought in 14 catches for 151 yards. Huge debut for him. And I don't expect that to be far off from what he's doing on a weekly basis. Kyler Murray Murray finally has a number one wide receiver, and he's going to be loving it. He loved it week one on a way to a victory. Garoppolo on the other side, 19 of 33, 259 yards, two touchdowns, not bad. Mostert, 
15 carries for 56 yards, clearly the number one back, uh, at least in week one for San Francisco. But where he put forth most of his fantasy contribution was in the receiving game where he caught four passes for 95 yards and a touchdown. The fact that he got so many touches early in this game and was by far the number one back is huge in my book because I was worried coming into the season that the San Francisco 49ers were kind of would kind of go the Patriots route where they have three backs that they like and depending on the week any one of them could be the one going off now I have to see this for more than just one week but against this Cardinals team he was clearly the number one and he produced as with that designation great outlook for him going forward and then the Sunday night game, Cowboys and Rams, was actually a really good game here. The uh, Cowboys end up losing 17 to 20, and a lot of and a lot of people will point to the OPI that was called on Gallup late in that game. And I don't like to blame blame games on officials. That was probably a bad call though but don't let yourself be in position where you need that at the end then that's what I have to say obviously Elliott consistent on the ground once again 22 carries 96 yards and a touchdown uh, he also put three catches 31 yards and a touchdown on his resume on Sunday night as well uh, Dak Prescott 25 39 for 266 yards and a touchdown. Honestly, I would have expected a little bit better from him and uh, going forward, just because he has such a good wide receiver core to throw to. Amari Cooper paced the team 10 catches for 81 yards. C.D. Lamb, 5 catches for 59 yards. And Michael Gallup, 3 catches for 50 yards. Outside of Cooper... I don't necessarily have consistent hopes for the other two, maybe C.D. Lamb, but Michael Gallup, after a great season last year, uh, really developing into that clear number two, was rewarded by the Cowboys going out and spending a first-round pick to bring in C.D. Lamb, who's going to develop into that clear number two, and really has the potential to be a number one caliber wide receiver. Outlook not great for Gallup. On the other side, Woods, six catches for 105 yards, clearly uh, was the focal point of this offense, especially early. Cooper Cup, only four catches for 40 yards. Really disappointing for me because I own him in a league. Uh, was not the output that you expected that you expect from Cooper Cup, but it will change as the season goes on. Another guy, I, I'm not bailing on him after one bad game. And Brown, we were not sure who was going to take this running back position and really run with it. Uh, Brown, though, 
with 18 carries for 79 yards and two touchdowns. Did a admirable job, an above average job, really, when you're talking about his debut as the lead back, I guess I would say, for the Rams this year. Hugely added in fantasy football, and I would not necessarily hate that. Akers, 14 carries for 39 yards, was the number two back, and he put one catch for four yards as well. Um, if Brown plays like he was, I'm not sure if Akers is in the category of being able to step in and take over that starting job at some point. And Henderson was clearly the number three back there. And you're talking about relatively high draft picks when you're talking about Akers and Henderson spent on running back positions. And yet it is Brown that has emerged as number one and played really well, who's in the, his fifth season of service in the NFL. Moving on to Monday night, Steelers and Giants. Steelers win this one 26-16, and Juju Smith-Schuster is loving having Ben Roethlisberger back. Big game from him, six catches, 69 yards, and nice. And two touchdowns in this game. Snell, 19 carries for 113 yards. Yes, I said Snell, not Connor. Connor only six carries for nine yards. He went down with an injury. Snell, obviously a huge add in fantasy football right now, considering he's going to be the number one going forward until Connor comes back. And if he continues to play like this where he's, you know, averaging over five yards a carry, he's would get consistent touches still when Connor comes back. But just keep in mind, this was against a Giants defense, so I would not necessarily expect that kind of consistent output from him on a week-in, week-out basis. Ben Roethlisberger, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Kind of seemed like he was, well, let's be honest, this was a good game for him to come back. You're going up against the Giants. You're, you're not going up against a great defense. So to really kind of get your feet back under you and get in a rhythm with the offense, you couldn't have asked for a much better week one opponent. On the other side, Daniel Jones, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Not particularly good. But really, those two touchdowns going to Slayton, who had six catches and 102 yards, he was really the bright point for this offense. Yes, I said Slayton, not Saquon Barkley, who, although he had six catches for 60 yards, on the ground, 15 carries for six yards. I mean, that's under a half yard per carry. That is ridiculous. Uh, this, this Pittsburgh defense, though, is legit I'm honestly a little surprised that the Giants were able to put up 16 points as it was. But nonetheless, Steelers in control throughout that game. Now let's get to the highlight of the week, at least for me, uh, which was actually also kind of a low light. The Tennessee Titans took on the Denver Broncos, and yet again... 
a game in which the Broncos could have easily won. Another game that was lost on a in the last minute, last 30 seconds of a game, game-winning field goal. And another game, as much as I think Vic Fangio can figure this out for the Denver Broncos, another game in which the clock was managed piss poorly. Piss poorly. You squandered a game in which... It's kind of funny because early on in the broadcast, Goskowski comes out and they talk about him being a future Hall of Fame kicker, which he very well could be. He starts out this game 0 for 3 kicking field goals and missed one of the extra points as well. So he missed three field goals and an extra point. Ten points he left up on the board. Well, okay, I'm going to be honest and kind of give credit to the Broncos as well. One of those kicks were were tipped at the at the line by Shelby Harris. So, so, but still, it's just it's an opportunity missed. Now, the Broncos came in banged up. No Cortland Sun, obviously. No Von Miller. And it did not necessarily get better for them. Bouye went down, is going to be missing sometime. He was put onto the IR earlier this week. And our boy, Philip Lindsay, also goes down. Neither one of them played in the second half. So there was, there's that. Um, but Melvin Gordon stepped up. Uh, and if he's going to have to be RB1 for a few weeks... Maybe he can actually earn that $8 million a year that we signed him for. I still don't like that move, but hey, whatever. Uh, Drew Locke, 22-33, 216 yards and a touchdown. He looked good. Not worried about Drew Locke. It would have been nice to see this offense put up more than 14 points, but they're going up against a good Titans defense. Titans defense that really was a big-time part of why they made it to the AFC Championship game last year. Ryan Tannehill, another big part of that. Uh, 249 yards and two touchdowns. And Derrick Henry with a very quiet 116-yard game on about, I believe it was 3.7 yards per carry. So if you can hold him under four yards a carry, you're doing a good job defensively. Where we didn't necessarily do a good job defensively was covering Corey Davis. He was a top five pick a few years ago, and this was one of the only games he's actually played like a top five wide receiver pick. Seven catches for 101 yards. I'd be interested to see if he can actually keep that going forward, if maybe he's finally figured something out and can be a consistent wide receiver threat for Tynahill. Because if he can, this offense can be potentially a little dangerous. Because A.J. Brown had a great season last year. Obviously, you have Derrick Henry. And you have a mobile quarterback in Tannehill. And, of course, that defense is really good as well. For the Broncos receiving-wise, Jerry Judy, four catches for 56 yards. He also had a couple of big-time drops, unfortunately. One of which... 
down the stretch, you could have looked at and been like, if he had caught that, the Broncos are in great position to kick a game-winning field goal. But don't let yourself be in a position where you need that catch to kick a game-winning field goal in the first place. One of the big takeaways, though, for me was Noah Fant, five catches, 81 yards, and a touchdown. All that, though, came in the first half. Only one target in the second half, and I'm like, what the hell? This guy is tearing up this Titans defense. Is a mismatch nightmare for that defense. And you go away from him in the second half. I do not understand that. And it's something that needs to be addressed going forward in my book. Fantasy-wise, though, like I mentioned Hawkinson earlier, Fant is posed, poised for a breakout season this year. He was really coming on late last year, found that chemistry with Drew Locke. And if, especially if Sutton misses another week or two, Fant's targets are going to be there. And he's going to put up good numbers for this offense. All in all, not super worried about what I saw from the Broncos offensively. The injuries are more what is concerning me. And particularly on the defensive side of things. With Bouye going down, you're you're relying a lot more on very young corners to step up and play very important snaps. So, my uh, you have Ojemudie, your rookie corner, is probably going to have to step up into maybe a starting corner job now, opposite of Callahan. And he had there was one play; it was really unfortunate. He got called back by a uh, AJ Johnson. Unnecessary roughness call, which was kind of chintzy in my book, but hey, whatever. Uh, he made a great play on the ball, caught it, would have been a huge interception. Obviously, it got called back, but still, I was so happy to see that because that's something that kind of has been missing from this defense the last couple years that big play, game changing play from that secondary, from the defense in general. And to see that kind of potential from your young rookie corner was really encouraging to me. I'm not necessarily sure he's ready for a starting position in the NFL right now, but with Bouye going down, I'm not sure you have a ton of choice in that. A.J. Johnson, though, was great for this defense, uh, 12 tackles, and Josie Jewell got the nod at the other inside linebacker job, and it was really a great matchup for him, talking about going up against a very run-heavy team in the Tennessee Titans. All in all, not the result you wanted, but I saw a lot of things in this game that I find extremely encouraging. This passing game is going to be dangerous going forward when you add back in Sutton. When you We haven't even seen Hamler take the field, but that kind of explosive ability, that kind of speed 
is game-changing. So you add him to this with Sutton. You saw some sick jukes out of Judy. Uh, and then you have Noah Fant and the development of him. I just don't know, as a defense, how you cover all of those. Somebody each week is going to have a big game. Maybe two people are going to have a big game. As long as Locke can be consistent in getting the ball to them. 22 of 33. Not great efficiency there. But that's just going to go up as the season goes on, in my opinion. With the injuries on the defense, that is where more my concern lies in how consistent this defense can be going forward uh, this year. But that is it for last week. I'm going to go ahead and step forward into the present. Tonight, the Bengals and the Browns are the Thursday night game. This could be a bounce-back game for Baker Mayfield against a subpar Bengals defense. Both teams coming in 0-1. The line is Cleveland minus 6. I do think Cleveland wins this game. I'm not sure they're going to cover that minus 6, though. Next up, Bears hosting the Giants. The line is Bears minus 5.5. That is kind of a wide line. Definitely buoyed by a good season opener by Trubisky. Bears do win this game. Again, I think that line is a little wide. So I'm going to say the Bears do not cover. Falcons at Cowboys. Line is Dallas minus four. Falcons, tough matchup week one against Seattle. And then another tough matchup against the Cowboys, but I'm not sure if the Cowboys can stop those wide receiving threats on the outside. I will say that the Falcons end up covering that minus three, and actually I would not be surprised if the Falcons end up winning this football game. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Falcons win. Lions at Packers. Packers minus six. Relatively big line. I think the Packers cover this, though. Win and win by more than six. Jaguars at Titans. Titans minus eight and a half. Another big line, especially considering how the Jaguars looked week one. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that the Titans do win this game, but they do not cover the eight and a half point spread. Vikings at Colts. Colts, minus three. Vikings win this game. So, they win, they cover the minus three. Bills at Dolphins. Bills, minus five and a half. I think that is easy money. Bills win this game. Bills cover that. Until Tua ends up taking over, I'm not sure that that offense is going to be able to put up much, especially against a above-average Bills defense. 49ers at Jets. Line is 49ers minus 7. Going to be a big bounce-back game for the Niners against a crap pool in the uh, New York Jets. 
49ers win and they cover relatively easily. Rams at Eagles. Line is Philly minus one. That surprises me. I think the Rams win this game. They looked good against a good Dallas Cowboys team. And now they're going up against a not as good Eagles team. So I think the Rams win that game. Panthers at Bucks. Line is Bucks minus eight and a half. That seems wide considering that offense did not look in sync week one. And they're potentially losing they're losing Godwin. Still don't know at what percentage Mike Evans is. Although he did play in that game, he was not a factor in that game. I'm, I think that's a wide margin. I do think the Bucks win this game, but I don't think they cover the eight and the half. Washington at Arizona. Line is Arizona minus six and a half, and I think that is good. Arizona wins. Arizona covers. Chiefs at Chargers. Chiefs minus eight and a half is the line. I think they win, and I think they cover. I'm not sure that Chargers offense with Tyron Taylor at the helm is going to be able to pose much of a threat to uh, underrated, I feel like, Chiefs defense this season. Ravens at Texans. Ravens minus seven. And... I think they cover that. A brutal start to the season for the Texans, though, when you look at this. Taking on the Chiefs in Week 1, and then the Ravens in Week 2. Arguably the two best teams in the NFL last season, and that is how you start start off. So the Texans will be going 0-2, but I, I don't think it's the end of their season. Patriots at Seahawks. Seahawks are favored minus three and a half. I think they cover that easily. Uh, I think the Patriots got buoyed by a favorable matchup in week one. Seahawks own this game. Monday night, Saints at Raiders. Saints are favored minus six. They win, they cover, end of story. And then, of course, going back to Sunday, but save this game, save the best for last. Broncos at Steelers. This is going to be a hard game for the Broncos to win. That that Steelers defense is really good. And that Steelers offense can be really good. And you're talking about going down your number one why your number one corner. So now you're gonna to have to count on Callahan in all likelihood to try to cover Juju. And I'm not sure. That he can. He was not really able to cover Corey Davis on a consistent basis. And Juju is a much better wide receiver than Corey Davis. And then you talk about the the Broncos offense against this defense. A lot more opportunistic of a defense. It's going to be a, a bigger test of where Drew Locke really is in his development because he's not going to be able to get away with some of the throws that he did against Tennessee against the Steelers defense. There was at least one, if not two passes, that should or could, at least could have been intercepted by Tennessee. Steelers capitalize on that. They have the playmakers on the defensive side of things. The line here is Pittsburgh minus 7.5. 
I think Pittsburgh wins this game. I, I, I don't like saying that, but I think Pittsburgh wins this game. I don't know that they cover, though. I think I think Denver can keep it closer than a touchdown when the final score is tallied. And part of that is I think Drew Locke can lead the Broncos down in the last four minutes of the game to get a score to bring it within one. So that is... Week one wrap-up, looking forward to week two of the NFL season. So this has been What Sports. This I, My name is Mike Jones. I am producer, editor, talent, all the above for What Sports. And if you like me, you can give me a follow on Twitter, Instagram, at Jones. Don't forget to give a like, a follow, a comment, all the above. This Recommend it to your friends. This is on Podbean, App, iTunes, Apple Play, Google Play, Spotify, on all that good stuff. But until tomorrow, when I talk about this Nuggets team, I bid you adieu. Have fun. Stay classy. This has been What Sports.